This week's episode of the Ortho Show podcast is what I would describe as an educational segment. Really excited to bring on Emil uh, Engels, who is a physician anesthesiologist, but he is also the chief exec executive officer of Aligned Orthopedic Group, which is an orthopedic platform that's based out of uh, Washington, D.C. You know, private equity in orthopedics is like black licorice and the Grateful Dead. You either love it or you hate it. Uh, there's a lot of controversy back and forth. What we're trying to do with this episode is to provide an objective viewpoint from someone in private equity about advantages, disadvantages, and the rationale and reasons why perfectly successful, well-accomplished private practice orthopedic groups are joining into these equity uh, platforms. It's really quite uh, fascinating and interesting. It's innovation in space. I think this will answer a lot of questions for you. It should be a fantastic episode. I know you're going to love it. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best in orthopedics. We're going to pivot a little bit again to one of the hottest topics in orthopedics, which is private equity. So we have a special guest on today, Emil Engels, uh, who is a physician, also has an MBA. He is the chief executive officer of Aligned Orthopedic Group, which is an orthopedic platform uh, down in the Washington, D.C. area. He's an anesthesiologist by training, still passes gas on occasion to keep his credentials and make sure that he's an active doctor. And Emil, Emil it is a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me and uh, really look forward to the discussion today. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. You know, you and I have become uh, fast friends as we travel. Old friends. Old absolutely. friends now as we've traveled the country doing these PE platform talks and trying to educate and make sure that people understand, you know, what this is all about. So it's a th it's really a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Likewise, the pleasure. Uh, I I'm pleased to be here and thanks for having me. All right. Terrific. So a little bit about your background, UVA undergrad, you got your MBA at the University of Tennessee, uh, right after school, I'm assuming. Then you go to Yale to get your, your medical degree. And then you and I are actually hanging out in Boston together. I'm not sure we even got that far to talk about it. But in the mid-90s, I'm uh, at the, at that point, I am back from uh, Curl and Job, and I'm starting my practice. And you're at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and you're getting uh, up and going on your anesthesia career. That's right, although the MBA came a little bit later. So my career was not really a, a direct path to where I am today. In fact, if you'd asked me 20 years ago if I'd be doing what I'm doing today, I would have said you're out of your mind. Um, so at the time in my life that you mentioned when I was in Boston, I was planning to be a, a full-time anesthesiologist for my you know, my entire career. And uh, like you said, uh, I trained at the Brigham, uh, took a job at uh, a large practice in the D.C. area at Fairfax Hospital and uh, became a partner there. And once again, had no intention of leaving until we sold our practice uh, to a public company in 2007. And it was at that point that I transitioned to the business side and got an MBA and and uh, led me to where I am today. So fascinating. So, uh, so, so that's the way to go, right? A lot of the kids jump right out of college. They get their MBA. They got no experience. They're like, what are you doing here? What's your plan? What's your mission? But it's interesting because that's one of the questions I was going to ask. How do you go from a clinical anesthesiologist to become the CEO of, of an orthopedic PE platform? And obviously, it sounds like your anesthesia group was 
was incorporated into one of these. And then you decided that you were going to take part more on the business side rather than more on the clinical side. Well, that's right. So when we sold in 2007, um, I was not the chairman of our group, but I was a member of our management team and just started to get more involved in the business side. Um, you know, took advantage of opportunities that, that were presented to me. Uh, to be honest, I'm not good at saying no. So when people ask me to participate in a committee or a work group, I, I, I said yes. And um, one thing led to another. Um, started having more uh, advanced roles at Mednax, including I was a, a medical officer for anesthesia. And then most recently, I was the president of the Northeast market. So again, nothing I could have mapped out when I started my career um, after medical school, but I am happy with where I ended up. So the operation side of being with Mednex, uh, as the this company grew and you're bringing in more practices, you're then managing more practices as a leadership operational type uh, of a position, which then seems like a perfect segue uh, to private equity, which is now for the first time, you know, like moving into orthopedic surgery, which has been a, a new event for us in our space. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm an anesthesiologist by training, a, a gas passer. Um, there you go. And, and anesthesiology was was well ahead of the curve as far as consolidation, uh, joining um, larger entities, whether they be public companies or private equity-backed companies. So I had a lot of experience um, working in, in, in large physician groups. In fact, at its peak, Mednex had 4,000 anesthesia providers, so quite quite large scale. Uh, orthopedics yeah. is relatively new to the consolidation um, phase. In fact, largely unconsolidated, a lot of white space in orthopedics. Um, so yeah, happy to be part of it. Yeah, that which is exciting. That's why we're really happy to have you on the show, because I think we want to use uh, today's show to be able to talk about what private equity is, what the what the realities are, what the advantages are, the disadvantages per se, or the perceived disadvantages, and sort of why is this thing so crazy? So we'll we'll move into that. So I'm just curious. So January 2021, you come on board with Aligned Orthopedic Partners. Now, who is the main private equity backer for AOP, just so we know? Atlantic Street Capital. Atlantic Street Capital. So does Atlantic Street Capital come to you at the very beginning of this, seek you out and say, okay, Emil, we're going to start up this orthopedic PE platform. We want you in as a CEO so we can now go and grab our first practice. How did that work out? No, actually, they'd already partnered with a group called Ortho Bethesda back in 2018. And in fact, um, Ortho Bethesda was one of the first orthopedic practices in the country to join private equity. I think they were number three in the country. Um, so very early on um, in this consolidation phase, um, I came on three years later. And those first three years, they spent some time sort of um, investing in the MSO, you know, building out the, the billing infrastructure, focusing internally. But then, of course, they were impacted by COVID, so really didn't, you know, have the opportunity to grow much in those first few years. And um, I came on in 2021, and we've had a remarkable growth uh, trajectory since then. So it's a, it's a good story to tell. Yeah, for sure. Now we're going to get there. All right. So, so let's talk a little bit about private equity and orthopedics. You know, I like it. It's one of my favorite lines. It's like black licorice and the Grateful Dead. You know, you either love it or you hate it. There's no in between right now. And the, you know, the things that you don't know typically are, you know, concerning to people. It creates, you know, they're scared of something that they're not sure of, especially physicians who, who are really very, you know, dialed into what they do and changing surgeries is difficult, much less changing ownership of giving up your practice. But, you know, for example, you and I were at the OVBC meetings, at Kane's meeting uh, out in Vegas, 
and there was an, a, a panel, a supposed balanced panel <laughs> involved uh, uh, two people, Dave Jakovsky from Hopco was the CEO and Alex Vaccaro was the president of Rothman. And then, of course, our dear friend Bill Levine, the chairman of Columbia, chimed in as well. And it was really, you know, it was really a very negative panel when it came to private equity. And, and in all due respect to those people that were there, I mean, Dr. Vaccaro is a leading voice and innovator in orthopedics, you know, just people listen to him for sure. And I, he had a bad experience in the early 90s. But I'm sure that uh, what was going on then compared to what is going on now uh, is very different. But let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, why are why do you feel that so many successful private practice orthopedic groups are considering and then joining private equity, right? They're already doing well. These are successful businesses. These are not failing businesses, but yet they look down the highway and they're concerned about what they see and they're looking for something new. Why is that? Yeah, so happy to answer that question. I, I should start off by saying there's definitely a stigma with private equity in some circles, but I don't know if that's necessarily fair. And, and you know, as the saying goes, if you've seen you know one private equity backed platform, you've seen one private equity backed platform. I think it's important to distinguish how some groups are doing it versus others. And I think it's critically important that you look at platforms that are physician led. Um, ours is physician led from from top to bottom. Um, uh, you know, I'm a physician as the CEO. We've got uh, a physician chief medical officer, physician chief innovation officer, and a physician board that governs our day-to-day -day clinical practice. But to answer your question, you know, why would you join a, a private equity-backed platform? Well, there's a lot of reasons. It, it's to partner with like-minded physicians. So we're putting together some of the best groups in the Mid-Atlantic right now. Uh, not only do we have Ortho Bethesda, but we've got Washington Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, Shady Grove Orthopedics, and the Jordan Young Institute. And with that size, you can do things that you couldn't do as a smaller group. Um, so for example, on the clinical side, we've got clinical work groups where we're, uh, we have a joint work group, a spine work group, um, a, a, to um, a total joint group. And those groups are collaborating. They're having monthly calls and, and sharing um, articles, doing journal clubs, um, talking about evidence-based best practices and really kind of moving the needle on the quality side. Um, we are collecting quality data on all of our patients. We've got, um, we're using the patient IQ platform across the um, entity and collecting data on all of our patients now. Um, we have a research foundation that we're looking to, to grow. Uh, we're talking about housing residency and uh, fellowship um, programs. So those types of things you can't really do, even at a as a medium-sized practice, it's hard to do some of those things. But when you put together 50, 60, 100 orthopedic surgeons, really gives you the scale to do that. And then on the business side, we're also taking advantage of our size and economies of scale to get better managed care contracts, to get better purchasing agreements, better rates on malpractice insurance. And so really there's a lot of benefits that that joining a larger entity brings. The, the last thing I would say is it gives you access to capital. And so we're now doing things that once again, you wouldn't be able to do as a smaller group. We are um, building uh, surgery centers or, or buying surgery centers. Uh, we're building urgent care centers. We're building out our ancillaries and, and growing our physical therapy divisions. So um, that access to capital is critical as you think about how you're going to grow your practice uh, in the future. Yeah, these are all fantastic points. And also to be completely transparent for our listeners, uh, my uh, orthopedic practice was purchased by the Spire uh, uh, private equity platform. And uh, But we're good friends. AOP and Spire seem to be a very similar pathway as far as how they manage. And I, I think you bring up some really great points, which... It, it's, you know, in my 25 years of, of actual clinical practice, 
I would say it's really hard right now to be able to grind, to be able to do what you need to be able to do to take care of the volume of patients, right? And I say it all the time, it's not physically possible for me to work harder. Even though I'm, I'm, a, I'm an established orthopedic surgeon, that's successful, I'm a critical mass with my patients, I could just ride it out into the sunset for the next five years. But really at the end of the day, there's challenges, there's a headwind. And being able to partner with like-minded, successful orthopedic practices, as you said, value-based care, data, research, best practices, economy of scale to be able to save money on malpractice, get better contracts. For, so for me, we're, you know, you're working smarter and you got some, you know, you got the NASA scientists behind you are helping to provide you guidance, you know, as you're trying to land on the moon. It's really great to have those sort of backings that we didn't have before the financial backing, as you said, you know, as well, which to be able to go and buy a, P, a PT practice or open a surgery center, those things I think are really great advantages in joining a PE platform. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and um, to your earlier point, Spire is a fantastic platform and, and very similar values uh, to ours. And Another thing that joining a, a, an entity like ours does is allows doctors to focus on being doctors. Um, our platform is physician-led. There's no major decision we don't make without consulting our docs. But we take away sort of the day-to-day -day management um, bureaucracy or headaches from you. Um, so you can focus on, again, just taking care of patients and, and running your clinic. So um, that's a real advantage. And then, of course, we bring business expertise to the table. So... Um, you know, ways to, to collect data, parse data, analyze data, uh, to make the smartest decisions when thinking about uh, how to move um, your business to the next level. You know, it's funny, I always joke around. I mean, in our business meetings, our monthly business meetings prior to joining private equity, to get 12 orthopedic surgeons in a room and try and, and agree on anything was nearly impossible. And then dealing with the 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 day-to-day -day operations of human resources and you know somebody's kid is sick and and this is going there and it's just all of these headaches that we dealt with on a day-to-day -day, those go away our meetings right now take about a half hour we you know because everything has been organized and put together and and just is just sort of run in a way that takes those headaches away just as you described so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the perceived disadvantages of joining private equity and i'm going to throw a few out there for you i'm going to give you some softballs and you just start hitting them out of the park for us okay so number one okay the suits are going to tell us how to practice they're going to come in private equity is going to tell us you got to see more patients. You can't take more vacation. We're getting rid of your nurse practitioner. Talk to our listeners about what PE can do and as far as the, the management group about the clinical practice of medicine. Yeah, great, great question, Scott. Um, so I do think it's important if you're thinking about joining a, a private equity-backed platform that you do your homework. And once again, not all platforms are equal, but it's critically important that you join a platform that's physician-led and allows you to manage your own clinical practice. If the deal is set up appropriately, if the comp model is set up appropriately, your incentives will be aligned. Another critical part of the way we run our uh, platform, same as yours, is that all of our physicians own in the business and they're still compensated based on productivity. So with, with those sorts of incentives, you know, I, I never tell my docs how much vacation to take, how many patients to see in a day. Um, our incentives are aligned. You know, they, they want to work as hard as they want to work to make um, meet whatever their salary expectation is. They take vacation when they want to take vacation, but we're all in this together. We're all rowing in the same 
direction because we own in this platform together and want to see it succeed in the future. So um, critically important decision if you're contemplating joining a platform, definitely do your homework and make sure you, you choose one where that physician autonomy is maintained. Yeah, make sure you get good legal counsel too. I mean, <laughs> you want to make sure that that you're getting what you think you're getting and people can explain the complexities of these big business deals to you so that you understand them. Make sure your letter of intent, if you're thinking about signing on board, is reviewed by an attorney before you sign it as well. I think that's an important a couple of takeaway points. All right, so here's another one for you. Again, I'm just going to just lay them up there for you and you just sort of knock them out of the park. So it's only private equity is only good for the old guys. They're selling out so they can take money. They're going to leave the practice and all the young guys are going to be stuck with this and they're going to have nothing to do later in life. And they're going to be so sorry they did it. Yeah. So you raise another good question. In fact, the question that you just asked me is one of the most common questions we get asked when sitting, sitting down with groups um, and, and talking about uh, partnering. So no question it is beneficial to mid-career and senior career physicians. Um, you know, I don't know how much the audience knows about how one of these deals is structured, but, um, you know, basically we give you cash. We, we, we buy a portion of your earnings. Uh, you'll hear the term EBITDA tossed around in a physician practice. That's basically a part of your compensation. So we buy a part of your compensation as a multiple, and that's paid in a combination of cash and rolled over uh, equity into the platform. So um, the terms are quite compelling. If you look at um, the tax treatment of sale proceeds, uh, the time value of money, um, it, it's a very attractive deal for anyone, regardless of the stage in your career. But the young physicians often ask, to your point, Scott, you know, why should I do this? You know, I'm, I'm 35 years old, just hitting my stride, and I'm going to sell you part of my income for the rest of my career. Well, a critical concept for a private equity-backed platform is income repair. You've got to find ways to um, repair or return a physician's income more towards what they were making before uh, the sale over time. Um, you've got to be able to provide them with a market package, right? Otherwise, nobody's going to stay with your, your platform. So how do we do that? There's, there's, there's a few different ways. It, it's, um, you know, we really focus on increasing revenue. So any sort of um, new business opportunity, a unique partnership like a clinically integrated network, uh, better managed care rates, so so we uh, better marketing, so so we drive more business to the practice. Um, but there's also uh, ways to repair income through building out ancillaries, and we do that in our platform. So when we build out physical therapy, uh, which we're we're doing at a very rapid pace right now, part of those profits flow back to the doctors. Uh, we partner with our surgeons in the surgery centers. And again, um, you know, we own part of it, but they own directly as well. And so they're getting income repair through their surgery center ownership. Uh, we are about to uh, build a sports performance center in our market. And once again, the physicians will share in the profits from that center. So uh, for a young physician, he or she also sees those benefits of the cash up front, uh, the rollover equity. Um, but then over time, uh, hopefully again based on the platform achieves income repair where they're back to earning a market salary uh in, in a few years yeah and the younger guys have room for growth they have room for improvement they've only been in practice for five years right i mean what does it take to get to the point when your practice is you know at, at critical mass probably at least 15 years so the point being you're giving up some now but then you're going to have more down the road to build it back up to where you were and then also which is part of my next softball I'm going to throw you is that the idea is that there's going to be you know liquidity events that occur and other groups will come in because you've been successful 
then there'll be a second bite of the apple, a second inning, whatever it is that you want to call it. And then you're going to get a multiple on that as well. So at the end of all of this 25-year or 30-year career, if you started in private equity in the first five years of practice, let's say, you may have three events where you would have grown and had significant earnings well beyond what you would have done just as a W-2 employee who's working as hard as he can to generate income. Well, that's right. Uh, like I said, uh, and we don't have enough time on this call to really get into the um, the details of this, but the, the math is quite compelling. Not only that um, cash payment you get up front that's treated as capital gains and you know can be invested and and you can realize a return on that, but the equity that you get in the form of rollover has significant value. To your point, um, you know all of these private equity backed platforms are looking to to sell um, in the future. Um, Orthopedics is relatively new to the PPM space. Like I said, in the anesthesia world, uh, consolidation has been going for 20 years. There are some platforms that are now having their third uh, third bite of the apple. They, they flip hands three times. And, and once again, the, the, the math is compelling. Um, really encourage you to you know, take some time and look at how the numbers work out. So for a young physician, to your point, who has a 20 or 25 year career ahead of him or her, um, it really is quite attractive to consider a deal like this. Agreed. And then for the older you know, partners as well, for myself, I'm at the twilight you know, towards the end of my career, not at the twilight, but, you know, I still have ways to go. But, you know, if I were to retire tomorrow, I'd get, you know, in my old world, I'd get two months accounts receivable and maybe a watch and everybody would say goodbye. Thanks for being here. You built a practice for 25 to 30 years and yet it had no value. You just walk away from it. Being in a, in a, in a deal like this in a private equity platform, you have fair market value. You own shares in your business. Those shares in, the, in that business can then be sold upon retirement and you have value to what you have built. I think that is really one of the more compelling reasons to consider private equity. No, absolutely. It's, it's a way to monetize, using your words, the practice you've built, you know, your, your blood, sweat and tears over the years, uh, toiling to build a, a great practice. It's a way to realize the value of that. And so it, it's, it's absolutely recognition of, of the hard work you've done and, and for a mid or Later term uh, physician, it's a way to your point to to, to realize um, you know financial gain for, for those efforts. Yeah, and that's, that's okay. You can say that out loud. You know, we work hard. You should be able to have financial gain, and that's okay. So one more for you, which I always hear a lot of too, which is. Oh, man, private equity is just all about making money, man. The minute they can, they're going to sell. You're going to go to some larger private equity thing on the second turn of the apple. They're going to rip up your contract. They're going to tell you now what you have to do. You're going to have to see more patients. Your, your whole clinical scenario is going to change all over again when you go to the second bite. But that's not how it is. So tell us how it is. Yeah, I mean, so, so some basic points here. First of all, um, good medicine is good business. We always say that. But if you're doing the right thing, providing high quality care to your patients and, and you know, working hard, um, the business in medicine will take care of itself, really. I mean, there's there, there's plenty of money in medicine. You don't have to um, make it off of the backs of the clinicians. So um, that, that's my first point. Um, second point is that um, all of the terms um, that uh, your, all your employment terms are, are agreed upon at the time you sell your practice. And those documents survive the next sale. So those, those uh, employment contracts, those governing contracts survive the next sale. So the next buyer can't come in and change the way um, things are being done. I would very much encourage you, if you're considering joining a platform, to talk to the physicians in that platform and you know, find out if, if they're happy. You know, um, is, is the partner 
um, dictating how they run their clinics or do they have clinical autonomy? Those are critically important factors. And the last thing I would say is that, uh, as I mentioned, um, our platform is physician-led um, and, and, and physician-run. Um, we have a governing board um, on the clinical side that uh, consists of uh, orthopedic surgeons. On the business side, the, the board of the entire platform is a mix of business people and orthopedic surgeons. Um, a sale is not going to happen unless our surgeons uh, are in favor of it or approve it. So there's not really a scenario where the platform could be sold to a buyer um, that, for whatever reason, was was unattractive to our to our physicians. So very much going to have input into the next sale. We're going to look for a like-minded buyer with similar values. Yeah, and I think that's that's really in a nutshell. You can feel very secure. Make sure that when you're going to sign that deal the first time through, that the clinical side of things is well covered so that you understand what your responsibilities are. They are then locked in for the next sale. So they're buying the same contract that you signed when you signed the first time. And I think that's really important. And I think, you know, as private equity rolls into, you know, orthopedics, you know, more and more, I think we're going to start to see a second bite coming pretty soon. I think that ONS and, for example, Ortho Bethesda are nearly, you know, four years into their cycle, maybe five years into their cycle, which is when you start seeing that rollover. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. So I had, I mean, I could go with it. I mean, Emil, we could go for at least another hour on this, but I think what I'd like to do next to just try and, and for our listeners so that they understand, let's let's walk through a typical deal, okay? You got practice X. It's the next one in line that you guys are going to bring in. You're having conversations with them. And so let's walk through as to how uh, the value of the practice is entertained and how you come up with the numbers. So we talked about that, right? So so EBITDA. So just describe for an individual physician, let's say, who's in practice, uh, how, do you do, how do you determine that physician's contribution to the EBITDA of the overall practice? Yeah, so... I don't want to lose the viewers here. It could be a very complicated subject, but in simple terms, um, EBITDA, which is an acronym that stands for Earnings Before Interest, Tax, Depreciation, Amortization, is a measure of profitability in a business. In a physician practice, all of the partners distribute whatever profits there are at the end of the year to the physician owners. So in essence, when you buy a portion of the profits of a physician practice, you're buying a portion of position compensation. So if you're contemplating a deal, what will happen is um, we'll get a, uh, an accounting firm involved to basically look very carefully at, at uh, your group's finances and look at how much um, you know, you're generating from a, an earnings perspective. Uh, there will be some adjustments. Again, remember the term EBITDA does not include certain things like interest or taxes. So, so there's an adjustment there. And then we figure out a number that we're going to buy. And typically it's somewhere in the range of 30 to 35% of your income. And I'll give you an actual example of how it works in a moment. But it typically works out to 30 to 35% of your income. We don't like to buy more because we don't want physicians to be unmotivated to work after the deal, right? If you buy them down to zero, what's their incentive to come to work the day after the sale, right? So, so typically we buy 30 to 35% um, of their compensation. So I'll just pick numbers that are easy to understand. Um, so say... Um, you're making a million dollars a year as an orthopedic surgeon. Um, we come in and we want to buy 30% of that. So we'll buy $300,000 from you. So the day after the sale, you're making $700,000 a year moving forward. For that $300,000 of earnings, we pay you a multiple. And you'll hear people talk about the multiples. 
Um, I can't tell you what the multiples are. You know, we kind of jokingly say on a panel where people ask us that question, some, somewhere between zero and 20. Um, you know, Scott, it's maybe, closer. It's closer to 10. I can say it out loud. It's somewhere around 10 in there. Somewhere. Let, let, let's use your number. So okay. if you're selling um, $300,000 of income for a multiple of 10, you're going to get a check of, for $3 million. Now we ask you to reinvest about a third of that back into the platform. So you walk away with $2 million in cash and a million dollars of equity in the platform. And as Scott was mentioning earlier, um, you know, at the second bite of the apple, when we sell the platform, we hope you return, uh, you realize uh, um, a return on that, uh, you know, million dollars of equity you roll over. Um, could be two times its value, three times its value. There's no guarantee on um, six, the value. Six, of six times the value. It could, it could be. <laughs> um, I will tell you that uh, the private equity partners typically look for a three times return on their investment. So, that's kind of the ballpark they're looking for. And depending on your timing of when you join the platform, it could be um, you know, less than that. But but generally speaking, that's that's the ballpark of where you know private equity is looking for on, on their money. Um, and so that's basically how the deal works. Um, now, hopefully over time, you start off making $700,000 a year. Hopefully, because of the things we talked about, um, building out ancillaries, better managed care contracts, surgery centers, urgent care centers, Hopefully the, the second year you're making 725 or 750 and the third year you're making 800. Slowly we get you back to that pre-sale value um, of compensation. But that's in very simple terms how, how, how a sale works. Now it's interesting because I want to bring up a point because I think this is a sticking point that happens you know, once the door closes. At the end of the day, AOP comes to the practice, they evaluate the EBITDA, they give a multiple, whatever it may be, zero to 20, and then they write a check and they say, okay, here's $20 million. That's the value of your practice. And now you guys have to figure out how you want to split it up. And so, you know, we talk about if you're in a practice where everyone makes a million dollars and you've split everything evenly, and that's how you do it, regardless of your specialty, then everybody gets an even cut. But I think most practices are more in some sort of an eat what you kill scenario where you may have one doctor in the practice that's making $3 million and you may have another doctor in the practice that's making $500,000. The contribution of the EBITDA is more significant for the $3 million person than it is for the 500. They're taking an income reduction uh, of 30% of 3 million. So in theory, they should get a bigger chunk of that money for the payout. Now you don't care about that. But it does matter inside the closed door. We call it the you know the knife fight. When you close the door, all the partners get in the room, and then we decide how the money is going to be split up. And that can be uh, that that's an interesting experiment. But for the most part, it figure everybody eventually gets to the point where they figure it out. But I want you to the listeners that are considering private equity, I want you to recognize that it's not going to probably be an equal split of that of that sale sum of money. No, great, great point, Scott. I, I would tell you that um, it does hinge a little bit on your tax structure. So I would encourage you to talk to an accountant um, if you're contemplating a sale. Um, but to your point, uh, we typically give you a a price for your practice. It could be 20 million, 30 million, 40 million. And the partners are able, generally speaking, to decide how those proceeds are distributed through a concept called goodwill. Now, again, it, it does hinge on your tax structure. You need to consult an accountant on that. But generally speaking, you can structure it in such a way so that you know the the higher earners, the more productive partners, get a bigger slice of that pie when we're doing a deal. I will tell you though that other factors sometimes come into play. Like you might have a young doctor who's been ramping up consistently, and sometimes 
the partners choose to give that doctor a little bit more than he or she would have normally gotten in recognition of the ramp. Conversely, you might have an older doc who knows at the time of the deal that he or she only wants to work another two or three years. And then you might give that individual less and factor that into the deal. So um, there's a lot of options here, but to your point, you can absolutely distribute the sale proceeds um, based on uh, individual productivity through a concept called goodwill, but would encourage you to consult the tax expert um, to find out the details on that. So let me ask you a pointed question. You may not want to answer it. I don't know if Chris Fusco would answer it either. He's the CEO of Spire. But you know, you're you're growing platform. I mean, it's really congratulations to you on on the way you guys have been really advancing. How many doctors have left your your overall platform since signing on board? Uh, I'm just curious. At this point, what do you have? 50, 50 uh, physicians and a, a number of uh, physician extenders as well. That's right. Now we're we're north of fifty, and a lot of physician extenders, a lot of physical therapies physical therapists. Um, it's worth noting in, in uh, the entire history of the platform, one physician has left. Um, actually, I, I take that back. There, there's a second one that left one of the practices who knew at the time of sale, he only wanted to work one year and build in retirement to the sale. So, so one physician left after one year. There is a younger physician that left who really was just not cut out for private practice, it had nothing to do with the private equity structure. Um, really wasn't getting busy. And as a sign, it really wasn't, um, he really wasn't cut out for private practice. When he left our practice, um, he took a job with CVS Aetna as a, um, uh, you know, a, a medical expert approving a claim. So really, again, not cut out for the private practice orthopedic world. Other than that, we haven't lost anybody. And we've added um, 11 physicians now to the platform since we sold to private equity, individual physicians, um, whether it be from fellowship or from competing practices, or even competing platforms. We just added a, a physician this year from another platform. So, um, yeah, I mean that that that's that tells you something about uh, what we're doing um, right there. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask. I mean, I think that you know there there are always going to be three sides to a story, right? And I think that uh, for for this was really important because I wanted our listeners to sort of understand from an outside objective CEO within private equity platform that I don't work for that can explain, you know, the process so that we can try to educate the physicians and doctors that are out there that are considering this. Uh, you know, I think that there are advantages and disadvantages to everything that we do uh, in clinical practice. Take your time, do a good search, look to answer the questions that are, are needed is this a physician, you know, based, is it a physician run type of a private equity platform? What's the history? Talk to the doctors that are in the platform. Are they happy? You know, are things advancing and moving in the ways that they are? And I think that, uh, I think you've done an outstanding job today, Emil, really sort of describing the process and why you're having success in private equity at this time. Yeah, well, thanks, Scott. Really enjoyed being on the show. I have to tell you, um, you know, I very much believe in what we're doing. I do think we're bringing value to healthcare. We're changing the way healthcare is delivered, um, whether it be through value-based uh, payments, as you mentioned earlier, we are actively involved in value-based payments, quality initiatives, uh, clinical collaboration across the groups, uh, forming unique partnerships. Like uh, we're now in two clinically integrated networks. We're doing direct to employer contracting. So one thing on the clinical side, really uh, changing the way healthcare is delivered. And then on the business side, um, making improvements, uh, realizing synergies and economies of scale that really um, affect everyone's bottom line. And so, um, you know, our physicians are, are very happy in the platform. Once again, I'm excited about what we're doing, believe in what we're doing. And I think the future for private equity backed uh, platforms is bright. Yeah, no, I think innovation takes courage. 
it you know to to do the same thing that's been done before uh i think it is is not the way to go i think looking and innovating especially in our healthcare market right now there's been tremendous transformation whether whether walmart's buying a, a medical practice or optum is buying primary care practices i think you have to move forward you have to advance you have to have great team great team leaders around you to make sure that it goes well i think we've done a good job here i think we've done a good job explaining to our listeners as to what you know the advantages and disadvantages are for private equity and really want to thank you again emil for the time and look forward to seeing you on the road again soon well, thank you, Scott. Um, look forward to seeing you as well. And, and thanks to all your listeners who've tuned in um, to this podcast. Once again, I encourage you all to do your homework, but I do think the future of private equity-backed platforms is bright. And so um, look forward to meeting some of you at meetings in the future. Fantastic. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.